as most of you know, we have uh, two individuals, part of our church family, that experienced some, some severe accidents this past year. And uh, Nick Younglove was with us uh, two weeks ago. Nick is 27 years old. He uh, had a, a diving accident back about four or five months ago. And he is today paralyzed in a wheelchair. Nick came and shared his story with us a couple weeks ago. Huge financial cost. Insurance is at work covering the majority of the cost. But as you know, these kinds of things, there's always also huge out-of-pocket expenses. We as a church have been wanting to step up and come alongside the family and help Nick. Also, uh, Justin Rogers. Uh, Justin, motorcycle accident. Uh, back in April, he was hit while he was on his motorcycle and nearly lost his life. Marianne was here last week and shared his story. Marianne is his mom. She shared his story last week. Justin couldn't be here last week because he had another one of a series of surgeries that he went through. But I'm glad to say that Justin is here with us this morning. And so I'm going to invite Justin to come right now. Um, back in April, uh, I saw Justin right after that accident at Loyola ER, and uh, he didn't look anything at all like he looks like right now, I'll tell you that, and uh, very nearly, as you heard last week, very nearly lost his life, and uh, so we're so grateful that God has spared you and brought you to this day and to recovery and rehab and all those kinds of things, Justin, and uh, so Justin just had a few things on his heart he wanted to uh, share with the church family. So we'll let Justin do that right now. Thank you. Yeah, hold that up nice and close, Justin. Hold close? Yep, there you Hi, go. Hi, everyone. Um, as Pastor Jim said, I'm Justin Rogers. Um, I started attending this church um, with my mother and my brother when I was about three years old, running around here, causing a bunch of trouble. <laughs> um, but in this church is where I found... Lord um, and accepted him into my life and uh, he's really got me through a lot of tough times that I've had um, growing up to my ripe old age of 31 but um, particularly on a April 7th um, I was struck going through an intersection on my motorcycle and broke three bones in my left leg compound fracture my pelvis in two places my right arm ruptured my bladder and some road rash on the back of my head. Um, it was really bad. They had to airlift me to Loyola because um, it happened in Joliet near my home. And they didn't know if I was going to make it or not. And um, with the power of prayer and my amazing mother, which hasn't left my side throughout this entire ordeal, um, in all your prayers and love, Amen. And uh, Amen. I'm just very thankful for everyone here and outside here that prayed for me and and really helped me get through this. It's been a very tough time in my life. All right. So okay. I want to say thank you to everyone. Amen. We appreciate that. Now, uh, yeah, well, hang on a minute. 
And before uh, Justin takes a seat, let's pray with him right now. Father, we thank you for the way you have spared Justin's life. Lord, he's standing right here today as a testimony to your faithfulness to him. And Lord, uh, we ask that you will continue to complete his healing and recovery in every way. And uh, we thank you, Father, for, uh, we just thank you for his life and testimony. And uh, now be with him, be with Marianne, be with the family, and, um, and we give you praise for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 God bless you, Justin. Thank you. Amen. All right. <clears throat> Well, we're going to turn our attention right now for the next few moments to uh, back to the Christmas story, back to why we all gather in church buildings like this across the world to celebrate the very things we've been singing about these last, these last few minutes. And I want to read um, from Luke, one of the biographers of Jesus, chapter 2. And you've probably heard these words before, but let's hear them again. In those days, that's about 2,000 years ago, A decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. That is, back to his hometown. Everyone had to go back to the place of their birth. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Now, please keep that phrase in mind. Joseph goes back to his hometown, which is the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because Joseph was of the house and lineage, the family tree of David. He went there to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, his engaged, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. We just want to look at a few things from this story this morning. First, the story of Jesus takes place in obscurity. It begins in obscurity. An ordinary night in an out-of-the-way town. We have a young family traveling because of a political move, a political play, the desire to raise taxes. Immediately, on the surface of the story then, it seems like political policies were really at play determining where Jesus Christ, this baby, was going to be born. Caesar wanted to raise taxes, and he was pushing everybody back to their hometowns to get registered for that reason. So, Even though it was not ideal, to say the least, for Mary to travel on a donkey nine months pregnant when she was ready any moment to give birth, Mary and Joseph set off on that trip from Nazareth to Bethlehem, which was about 70 miles. That would be from Chicago to about the Wisconsin border. That's the distance they had to go. And it was so disruptive. I mean, and I can imagine Joseph and Mary having a discussion on the way. Where is God in this? Here, I'm, I, the angel came and told me, I'm bearing the Son of God, the Savior of the world, but look, this is all falling apart right here. Well, on the surface of everything, 
the surface of the circumstances. This all looked like it was Caesar's doing. Caesar's just doing something. It's, it's a political thing. But when we look underneath the circumstances, God was doing something much, much deeper. And God is a God who works through circumstances and his working often is not so apparent to us. So the story of Christmas, even the birth of Jesus, calls us to take a deeper look, to not judge things based only upon outward appearance and outward circumstances. Yes, Jesus was born in Bethlehem because Caesar initiated this census. But even that being true, God can overrule circumstances. He is the king above the Caesars of the world. And God was at work in a very silent way, fulfilling his ancient promises given through the mouths of many prophets. Even in these distressing circumstances, God was still at work to bring forward his purpose in Joseph and Mary's lives, and not just their lives, but in the history of the world. Because Micah tells us, and and Micah was a prophet who lived 750 years before the events we're talking about here tonight. And I want you to listen to what Micah says in the most specific terms. This prophecy about the city of Bethlehem. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little, too insignificant, too small to even be counted among the clans and the villages of Judah, Nevertheless, from you will come forth for me one who is to be, one who is to rule in Israel. Now listen to this. Whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. That phrase, ancient of days, is one of the names that is applied to God in the scripture. So this is not just an ordinary birth, although it occurs in the most ordinary circumstances. But it's a birth that, is good, that will have impact upon the history of the world, including your life and mine as we sit here today, 2,000 years later. And then it says this, Micah adds these, these words, and he, this ruler, this coming one, he will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. So, out of Bethlehem, this easily overlooked place, the king, the savior will come. The one who is from ancient days, from eternity, who is going to shepherd his flock, and he's going to be great to the ends of the earth. So again, we have to come back. Luke is asking us, once again, we have to choose how are we going to read history? What's the narrative by which you interpret events and circumstances? Is it the headline of the political policy administered by Caesar? Or is it the quiet, quiet working out of ancient prophecies? Is that really what's at work, unfolding God's purposes and plans for history? By outward appearances, as we said a moment ago, God was nowhere near this event. By outward appearances. But as it turns out, this very, very small, insignificant town shows us that God, to, that, that for, for God, 
He works in those places, his plan through history, that we would consider to be obscure. He works among people whom we consider to be forgotten and unimportant and insignificant. But the great truth that Jesus Christ, even by being born in these kinds of circumstances, he's shouting out to you and me that with God, there is no insignificant human being. There is no significant, obscure place on the face of this earth. No matter where we go, God's eyes are there. His heart as a shepherd That's how God cares about every human being. So the story continues. We also learn that Jesus was born and then laid in a feeding trough. He was born in an animal stall because there was no place for him to stay that night. Now the town of Bethlehem was anywhere, the historians estimate, from a population of about 300 people to maybe 1,000 people in size. Because this was Joseph's hometown, he probably had family still living in, in Bethlehem. Why didn't Joseph go to his family to find a place to stay? Well, you know what? Uh, the family tree of David, they were like a very noble, highly respected family in the nation of Israel. Uh, And the text is telling us here that Joseph and Mary were still engaged. They were not married yet. And so, most likely, Joseph did not go there, or if he did go there, he met with rejection. Why? Because everybody would have been looking on the circumstances from the outward appearances and making their judgments based upon not seeing deeper into the story, which, of course, they couldn't see at that time. But so instead of finding room with his family, uh, Joseph goes to this inn. But then things go from bad to worse because there's no place for him to stay in the inn either. So, they, so the, this young family goes out into the stable, and we know the story from there. Uh, so again... How are we we reading the headlines and the circumstances of this story of Jesus' birth? On the surface appearance, this this simply looks like a pregnant fiancé and they're having rough times. That's what it looks like. But we understand from, from the other side of the narrative, the deeper side of the narrative, what is this? This is laying the framework for the virgin birth. Two completely different things. So the story calls us to find God working in the shadows. Often God's work is unnoticed. It's overlooked. And God is okay with that. God very often works exactly that way. And there's one more example of this. Let me read a little bit more of what Luke writes for us. He says, uh, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude or with the angel a multitude 
of the heavenly host, the angels of God, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now, uh, shepherds during this period of history, they were some of the most lowly of characters. Uh, They were sort of like nobodies. They lived on the margins of society. But you know what? Uh, God, in the scripture, God has a great love for shepherds because what do shepherds do? They, they are 24-7 caring for sheep. 24-7. It is a 24-7 job. Uh, they live with those sheep. They know the sheep by name. Every one of those sheep, it's like they have a personal relationship with those sheep. That's, that's the life of a shepherd. God loves shepherds. So they t- they, and it's detailed work. They have to care for the injured sheep. They, for the, Jesus even gave that great parable about a sheep that got lost. And in that parable, he tells how the shepherd left the 90 and 9 that had been gotten back into the sheepfold. And the shepherd loves that sheep so much that he goes way off into the wilderness to try to find that one lost sheep. And, and in the story, I always like this story. When, Jesus, when, when, when the uh, shepherd returns... How's he holding that sheep? Well, back in those days, they carried that sheep right over their shoulders. So this is, this is the heart of God. Now, a thousand years before this event, the night of Jesus' birth, God had visited a, a, a shepherd in the city of Bethlehem. And who was that shepherd? Well, his name was David. Now, there's... David is, David's story is another example of how God works in the most surprising ways, in the most obscure ways. Because David was a, he lived in obscurity. You remember the story. When Samuel the prophet came to anoint the next king of Israel, he called for the sons of Jesse. Uh, and Jesse had several sons. They all came and lined up in front of the prophet. Uh, expecting mostly that the oldest one, the firstborn one, and the Bible describes his firstborn son as, man, he was, you know, he looked like Thor, <laughs> okay? He was, he was muscular, he was strong, he was tall. Surely, this is God's anointed next king of Israel. But he, God said, no, no, he's not. And then he went through all the rest of the sons, and David was so obscure that his father had, had not even had him come that day. David was out taking care of the sheep. And so Samuel says to, to David's dad, you have another son? He said, yeah, but he's, he's, just, he's the youngest. He's out taking care of the sheep. Go get him. Bring him in. And sure enough, it's the shepherd boy that is on God's heart to anoint as the, as the king of Israel. And David became the greatest king of all the kings of Israel. He lived in Bethlehem about 1000 BC. The point is, it's all together, it it makes so much sense how this all coordinates that a thousand years later, God who had promised to David when he became king that one day there's gonna come a king in your lineage who is going to be the savior king of the world. And here we have the story unfolding right in front of us. Let me read that prophecy from from Micah once again. But you, O Bethlehem, 
who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose origin is from old, from ancient of days. And then listen to the last phrase. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord. Here's the thing. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, he has the heart of a shepherd. And he is 24-7, has his eyes set upon you. There is no obscure person. There's no unforgotten person anywhere to be found. And we need, to take, we need to really take hold of that truth in our lives. And God is working behind the scenes. So, born in Bethlehem, in an out-of-the-way place, is the new shepherd, king, the savior of the world. And so what happens next? Luke tells, Luke tells us that uh, the shepherds that night got the greatest concert that has ever taken place on this planet. I know that uh, I have you know, uh, family uh, relatives that were down at Soldier Field this past year for the Coldplay concert. I heard that was a great concert. They told me I need to go to the next one. I probably will. But, and, and Soldier Field was packed. But that, that, it doesn't hold a candle to the concert that God staged for just a handful of humble, obscure shepherds in the middle of the night. And it says that the, the sky filled up with a multitude of angels. I don't know if that's thousands or tens of thousands singing glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill spread among men. What what on the surface of this story just looked like something Caesar was up to to get taxes raised. And, and Mary and Joseph just got sort of caught up and were being burdened by the wheels of history, okay? That's what it looked like on the outside. And a lot of times the circumstances in your life probably look like there's, no, there's nothing, God isn't anywhere near this situation. There's nothing happening here. Hey, don't make that mistake. Let's look under the surface this Christmas and realize that this place of obscurity and suffering, it became the very place that God filled with his glory. And that's the promise you and I have. If we will stay firm in our faith and trust him, even when the world around us is collapsing and falling to pieces, the story of Christmas communicated to us by a Savior who came who was born in the midst of collapsing situations and circumstances. He's come to reveal a truth to you and I, the only truth that is sufficient and adequate to lead you and I through a world like the one we live in. And this is what Advent conspiracy is all about. Advent conspiracy is a way to see the deeper meaning of Christmas. So this Christmas, we are setting out the invitation to scratch beneath the headlines and the circumstances, to pay attention to God's story and what he is doing in our time and in our place in history so that his glory and his love and his goodness can shine out through you and I who are his people. We can be part of the story and we can bring his story 
to people that are in need. That's why we have chosen this year to intentionally spend less so that we can give more and, and, and share the story, share the, the love of, of Jesus Christ with those that are around us. Um, that's why this year, as I said a few moments ago, we, have, we prayed and said, Lord, what would you have us focus on in, in this year to make a real difference? And that's where shopping for the 70 families in our community, that's why we're doing that. And that's why uh, Justin and Nick came, came to our hearts, came to our attention as let's come alongside and let's, let's help defray those expenses. Let's, let's help. Let's pitch in. And so we have set a goal for uh, $12,000 that we could raise as a church family to just help cover some of these insurance costs, out-of-pocket things, all that kind of stuff. And so far, and I'm really happy to report to you, in these first three Sundays of Advent, we're at $9,280 and a few cents. We're really close to meeting this goal, maybe even going beyond it. And I want to thank this congregation for being part of the story of Jesus in a practical kind of way. Our, our faith in Christ is not just about words and, and religious words and things we talk about. Our faith reaches out to the world in the same way that God, out of his generosity, out of pure generosity and love, God sent his son into the world when you and I had no salvation. We had no hope. So we want to reach out and bring hope to people that are facing some really, really tough times. And I thank you for, for coming around that. Now, I just want to wrap the message up with this. Maybe you're here today, and this Christmas season, you are feeling obscure and overlooked. I just want you to remember what we said a moment ago, that Jesus entered this world among the obscure and the overlooked. So he, we would know that he identifies with us. Jesus lived, and then he died for us all. He, he died bearing our sins and our shortcomings, the things that separate us from God, so that he could become our way of asking for forgiveness and coming to know God personally as we were created to know him. We were created to know God very personally through Jesus, placing our faith in him who came as our savior and died for our sins. Every human being has the opportunity to come to know God as more than just this remote stranger. We can know God up close and personal through faith in Jesus Christ. And if you have never personalized your faith in Christ, never invited Christ to be your savior, you can do that right now from where you're seated simply by saying, Lord, I receive you as my savior. Come into my life. Be my savior, my Lord. And I pray if you've never done that, you will do that this morning. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus, uh, I want you to realize again that you're not forgotten in your circumstances. He is with you, and he is under the, under the, uh, underneath the circumstances and through those circumstances. God has not abandoned you. He is working out his purpose, his plan 
to bring you to a place of glory, ultimately. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for your love and your grace. We thank you that we serve a Savior who has the heart of a shepherd, who will never abandon us, but keeps his eyes and his heart set upon us. And Lord, uh, I pray this morning, if there's a person here making a decision for the first time in their life to receive you, that you will just come in, Lord, with all your power and love and, and, and make them aware that, help them to become more personally aware that God is who he, said he, who, who he says he is than they ever thought possible. And Heavenly Father, we again thank you, we praise you this morning for the great gift of your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Amen.